Hello, friends. This is Eric Wright, the host of your Disco Posse podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Our episode today is brought to you by our good friends at Veeam Software. Always a big shout out to our friends at Veeam. And if you want to check out more, because remember, mo data, mo problems. Wherever your data is, you've got to protect it. So go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse, and you can check out all of the data protection capabilities of Veeam software, whether it's cloud, on-premises, it's Office 365, so we've got SaaS backups, and they've got all sorts of crazy cool stuff now with Kubernetes. That's right, they recently uh, purchased a brand new platform, a new company came in board, and now they have everything from cloud native to cloud back to the old virtualization stack and heck even your virtual servers and physical servers oh my goodness so go to vee.am forward slash discoposity and check it out also make sure our other sponsor is velocity closing that's right it's actually kind of me uh, i've been producing content now to help people to be able to do better customer engagement and deliver extraordinary software demos. So you can go to velocityclosing.com and you can download my recent ebook and you also get access to the audiobook and an upcoming course. So get in, get up there now because we've got a special going on. So go to velocityclosing.com to download today the four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos that win deals. Very cool. I hope you like it. I had a lot of fun creating it. Just recorded the audiobook, so that's going to be coming out soon. So get on in before that special goes away. Today's episode features Jen Snyder. Jen's the chief evangelist at GovQA. Love the title as a fellow evangelist. So GovQA is doing really, really cool stuff about enterprise workflow automation for government records. Now, we cover really the, the core value of why that needs to happen, how they're tackling the problem, but we go into a ton of stuff around how to create sales opportunities and create a sales force that can work with the government and so much more. Tons of great lessons. Thank you, Jen. Hi, I'm Jen Snyder. I'm the Chief Evangelist with GovQA, and you are listening to Disco Posse Podcast. I've really enjoyed reading up on on you, Jen, and like the what you and the team are doing. Uh, but I think the best thing to start is let's let's have you introduce yourself, talk about GovQA. We're going to get into the fact that you and I are the last of a handful of evangelists on earth, uh, which I, I love the title. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about you to begin with, and 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 then we're going to get into some really neat stuff for folks that are, you know, interested in in how startups can have a real material and positive impact on the community with government. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've been in government sales um, pretty much since about 2007. So I've watched a big evolution on how, you know, how they use technology, what it looked like from, you know, one page websites all the way to incredibly interactive tools. So um, there's been a you know, great transformation in, in that technology space where, uh, where I played most of my time was in the sales or sales leadership space. So I spent a lot of time with existing customers, 
people who were evaluating us as prospects and determining whether or not they wanted to have a partnership with our with our company. So we decided about mm, two years ago that it was time to kind of put an overlay in place. I have a lot of tribal knowledge. I've been in the space for a long time, so um, I could navigate and bring a lot to the table. So we turned my role into more of a, a facilitator and a moderator of a lot of what we called our roundtables or our peer-to-peer -peer discussions with our customers and really kind of started to pull all that knowledge together so that I could share it with our sales force as well as the rest of the organization to um, really help evangelize the government technology space as well as evangelize the product, which I too like the word evangelize. <laughs> there we go. Well, the, the very interesting thing about the the challenge of, of anyone being a good sort of like a, uh, imparting the value to, you know, mm -hmm. perspective and, and, and current customers. Uh, and also there's a, a definite difference in the way in which we have to approach, approach things when we're with a government customer, you know, and as, as I've worked with a couple of organizations in the past in, you know, in my own as well, you know, as we look at how we approach that as a, a, a clients, let's just say, it's very different. It's much more, oh, I say challenging, but it shouldn't, it's not like on its face is not challenging. It's just different. There are different sort of boundaries and, and uh, you know, regulatory things we have to deal with. So mm -hmm. you took a, you, you got into the space a few before this, right? Uh, one, one would yep. say, why would you choose to do this? <laughs> Going into government <laughs> in tech, especially as is a very interesting uh, choice. It's very successful uh, now, you know, but at the time that you kind of jumped into this world, uh, it was probably a lot more challenging. It was uh, very challenging because, you know, I was obviously with a, a SaaS platform, which was very forward thinking for the government space back in that time. Um, it was, uh, you know, met with a lot of resistance because people were still doing a lot of things on-prem. They had a lot of desktop applications and the concept of, you know, using the internet and putting information out there was, was frightening. Um, tech, you know, normally you see in the government space that they're slightly behind what the commercial space is doing from a technology perspective. Um, but what I did like is that we had a very forward-thinking product that allowed us to be um, educators in the space and share possibilities and futures and not, not be in the competitive commercial world of, I know what you have and mine's better. Look at mine, look at yours. You yeah. know, this was more of a, um, a really truly consultative educational opportunity. And um, not only do you learn a lot in that space, but you build a lot of trust with your customers because they do need your help to get to that next space. And they do at some point want to consider, you know, evolving into more modern technologies. So it was a really great and comfortable space, which brought you less vendor customer relationships and more partnerships. And, and I say the sort of the, the, the challenge of the choice to get into the market space. It's like, it's like teachers, you know, and I say this having, I've mm -hmm. got lots of relatives who are teachers and friends who are, and I always, I say it, when you go into it and you look at the commercial potential for building a SaaS platform to sell to, you know, B2B or B2C, like, mm -hmm. there seems to be bigger dollar signs or bigger growth opportunities there. So I have a massive respect for people that really see the value that that's not the only place to be. And it's tough because in the startup world, of course, we're a little bit overly focused on chasing unicorns and looking for like the 10X Absolutely. engineers. <laughs> uh, but 
the whole world, especially in our, our government, needs technology. And it, it needs that innovation, I think, to come from outside. So, you know, how did you position the advantage to being a platform offering into, uh, you know, into government customers because you have a mm -hmm. different set of eyes, a different lens that you're looking at things. Absolutely. So first you have to take what you've learned from the commercial space, right? So you have to say, you know, this is where the commercial space is headed. These are some of the reasons they're headed there. And now let's trans, you know, uh, let's translate that into what that means for a government cu customer. And so being able to show them cost savings because you know you're not going to have all those hardware costs and additional resources that have to be spent on those you're gaining more access to your customers which are the citizens or the you know the public in general and being able to provide that kind of access to the to the public you knew was only going to grow right we were seeing things in the commercial space with chats being developed and you know just email communication and all of those things so you knew at some point that was going to evolve so the key was showing the, you know, showing the ROI. Why would is it? Why was it going to be a savings? What could you do better than with public money, public funds? Um, and then how how will that just evolve for you? So you know, take a baby step into the water and do this, and then consider what could come next. And as long as you kept educating and you kept building on the product that was specific for that space, they could keep seeing the future. And so it it allowed them to build kind of almost their own strategic plan to get them from the point they were at, which was kind of a one-page website <laughs> that was very <laughs> static, <laughs> all the way through you know, full communication with their customers. And I think it's been such a boon for especially government services across the board from municipal in a, and town all the way up to obviously the federal and you know, I'm Canadian, so mm -hmm. we, have, we also have a federal government, a different one. We have provincials instead of states, it's all the same <laughs> story, uh, but the, it's pervasive now as it should be because there's no mm -hmm. way to meet the needs of citizens at large especially i think all the only positive that i would take of what 2020 has given us is the understanding of the need for technology to be the first place we look to get people access to the services that they need to be healthy absolutely and well. Absolutely. I can tell you just from uh, speaking with customers, you know, throughout this last nine months, um, I have customers who before they came onto our platform, when things would happen in their areas, let's just use some coastal customers as an example, hurricanes would come. Uh, if a hurricane came, they'd be FOIA or they'd be uh, furloughed. Right. They wouldn't be able to work. And could you imagine, I mean, those were normally two week incidents for them. Could you imagine them not being able to work for eight to 10 months? I mean, it's just you know, it's amazing. So to hear their story about feeling, feeling so proud of the fact that they were proactive and they took the, you know, the concept of work anywhere at any time. I mean, our children took it in school, you know, a couple of years ago. So it was, <laughs> it was time. So, uh, but now doing that, they've been able to be fully functional and not really skip a beat. You know, everybody had a moment of transition, but from that point on their business as usual. As they say, necessity is the mother of invention. And I think we, I can, I could go through easily and off the top of my head, name a dozen companies that had a hardened, no remote policy. Yeah. And they said, you can't function as a business. Now, look, this is not true. This was not going remote. This was a suddenly in unable to get into the office. There's a difference between a 
proactive, right. we're going to enable a remote workforce. But I think we've, as a society, have handled it fairly well. Like it could have gone, I don't know yes. that it could have gone much better at the scale and, and speed that we were faced with. We didn't have a choice, right? Right. You know, I, we actually, we had a very sec- successful transition. Now we had some remote employees, but we were, you know, pretty much 80% all in the office with it, with the exception of travel days. So um, having to make this complete switch, it really gave you the opportunity. You know, you believe in the product, you sell the product, you, you know all of the value of it, but until you get flipped upside down and, and don't get a chance to go to your, to your regular job, you really appreciate it because we use a lot of our own technology in-house. So being able to see how that was working and how your customers were using it even gave you a, a better partnership. Well, it's funny, a, a word that popped up before when you said it may have been a Freudian slip. You said FOIA and over, uh, when, and I said, oh, this is a situation I know oh. well, right? The Freedom of Information Act. Let me tell you, so let's talk actually quickly about the platform and, yeah. and GovQA, what you folks do, because this is also, if I were to list off the things that I would not want to personally start as my first crack, one, selling to government, <laughs> two, dealing with <laughs> compliance and, and legal, Holy heck, you you bit off both of those ones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've bit off a lot of those. So um, just to give you a little bit more history on the company, we started as a citizen request management system, which is CRM in the commercial space. But for us, it was really servicing the citizens. So we had a lot of things like mayor's action centers and, you know, um, ask town hall kind of things. Um, that quickly re- made us realize that there was some other things happening from a process perspective that were really kind of serious in that space and, and had some, you know, some um, responsibility and some and some risk. And so we started looking at how how well our product was handling what we were handling and saying, okay, it, it we're only tasking it, you know, 15% of what it can really do. So let's look at what the troubles are with the rest of the folks and what they're doing in these other areas of the organization and see if we can help with that. And that's how our public records product or FOIA was born. Now, you know, FOIA as a federal, right? Freedom right. of information. Yeah, yeah, Act. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it is actually what the state of Illinois, which is where I'm at, calls it. it they call it FOIA. Um, across the country, it can be anything from grandma to Oprah to Cora to <laughs> yeah, CPRA. They... So every state has interpreted it different, which actually even then brought another level of complexity that really played well with our product because we're able to build out. Um, different templates and different, you know, kind of versions of our tools that meet all of the needs of every one of those states. So everyone is different and we have a way to deploy it to make sure you're compliant. Well, this is the the true advantage to being an outside in approach is that you can solve a specific set of problems and those are not unique problems. They're shared by everything from municipal up to federal and, and everywhere right. in between. So in that way, I think you have a distinct advantage because you have that, you're not, you're not married to the local regulatory boundaries. You're going to use them as requirements and constraints right. in the design, but you have the ability to say, I can build this for everyone. And you are one of those people versus yep. hiring a, team of 40 engineers to spend 11 months developing a product for, you know, the, the, the state of one Illinois or, or whatever, right? right? It's uh, and that's one system of 
dozens, right? Which, uh, right. Uh, you know, I've, I used to work in police services when I was, uh, when I was younger. And uh, yeah, even to seeing that, the back end, you've got, you know, we, we, we knew the, the federal stuff. We had the local, I worked for a little mm -hmm. town police organization. So, you know, seeing the differences from one to the other, but in the end, I was doing database design for it and looking at it okay. going, it's the same, same fields. You call them different things, but it's the <laughs> same thing. We could probably do some stuff here together, uh, but. Exactly. They so didn't if you look at our lens. platform, oh, sorry. If you look at our platform as a whole, you know, it's one huge uh, enterprise workflow, highly configurable system that then we're able to tailor based on the needs. So there's not all of that, you know, massive customization and, and, and consulting that has to go into it because we spend a lot of time knowing what you're going to need in that state and being able to apply it to the, to the already existing system. And it works very, very well. And we do a lot of work, by the way, with public safety. So lots of law enforcement, you know, sheriffs, uh, police departments, state po patrol, all the way up. So now the the next thing, which was, it comes out, and even the way you describe what you do, in that you see your customers in effect as the as the people. The government is the way in which you get to them and you provide those services. But it's very clear in how you talk about things that it's truly a sort of a citizen first approach to the way you do things? So it is a citizen first approach, but at the end of the day, the government entity is our customer. Our responsibility is to give them the right kind of tools so they can take care of their customer. Right. So we're kind of, you know, we're kind of a third party to the, <laughs> to the public. Um, but at the end of the day, that's why customers are coming to us, right? The government entities are coming to us because they have a customer that has needs and they need a product to solve for that. So we do understand what those needs are and that's you know, where we come from. But we definitely are in the- Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Speaking There's an edit. <laughs> it's always nice when Siri comes along for a podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, so yes, the government entity is, is kind of our main customer, but we're fulfilling the needs that they have for their customers. But it, it is, like I said, it's different in that you you either personally, you know, whether you realize or not, really, it does, it's it's important. And, and, and I've got a really big, when I looked at some of the, the some of your previous talks and stuff, it's, mm -hmm. it, I have a high respect for people that you don't see the end game as getting a PO signed. You really and truly see through that to like, what's a valuable thing that we're doing for people. And mm -hmm. this is an agency which will use this tool to uh, let that happen. And it's very different. It's very easy for companies to say like, hey, I've got, you know, there was actually one company that went back when I was in police services. And they said, all we're going to do is sell to police services. And it was great because they just knew if they could build one system, they could go around mm -hmm. to every single local police services agency and sell it. And, and they would drop it off with me and, and I'd be doing testing and different things. And I'd say, have you actually seen who uses the system like on the end state? Cause we're using this to interface with our citizens, right? Our customers right. who are the people of this town. And they're like, well, that doesn't matter. Cause they're not the ones that sign the PO. I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I think what we, the approach we take with our, um, with our customers, uh, which is the, the government itself is we're not only going to provide you tools that are going to be 
impressive and beneficial to your public, right? Your, your customers, but then again, also help you. So we do a lot on the front end, which is what the public interacts with to make that experience as smooth and, and effective as possible. Now you've got a, a really good storied background in, in sales leadership. You've <laughs> come through different couple of different organizations and style. <laughs> what what made Jen Snyder decide that sales was uh, was a place that you could land? Um, it was the first ice cream cone I served at the age fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, I you know I literally got into sales you know as a uh, as a Girl Scout um, I, and then went into sales in the retail space all through school um, and just kind of felt like it was who I was you know I mean. If you, if you met anybody who knows me personally, they would, you know, say, stop selling. I don't care if it was that I wanted sausage on the pizza or <laughs> whatever it was, it was stop selling me. <laughs> I, I just know I have this vision now being in the, I've been in product marketing and, and dealing with sales, you know, process stuff for so long. So I just imagine there's some girls get out there saying like, I got 14 boxes that are on strong upside. I got a couple that are an ID. Uh, we're working on it. Uh, but pipeline's a little, little rough. We're going to head over to the yeah. beer store and see if we can get some new, uh, new customers. You know, what was an interesting transition for me to go from, um, my chief sales officer role into, um, the chief evangelist role was, you know, like our marketing leadership had to keep saying, take your sales hat off take yeah. your sales hat off because it was a little bit of an interesting transition because I was always thinking about pipeline and things of that nature. And to be able to go more into that evangelist role and really be about, you know, bringing our customers together or sharing stories with them that, that they could connect to and, and those kind of things. Those aren't really direct selling events, you know, or being a part of speaking engagements where it's all educational, you know, those are things that I do, I do really, really enjoy, but it was an interesting transition. <laughs> when, What's good about your approach and even in seeing and, and having this discussion, right, is that you're not, you're, even if you're selling, you know, so to speak, you're, you're selling with your ears as much as anything else. You're a right. very strong listener, which is important. I know a lot of folks that are like, they said, I got into sales because I was great at talking. Like, I don't know that that's actually what's great. It's great for sales. <laughs> Yes, exactly. You know, a strong listener makes a better salesperson in a lot of cases. Did you choose to take a school approach to, to doing that? Sort of when did you realize where your direction in life was going and you, know, you wanted to kind of focus on it? I started focusing on sales and marketing and, you know, the marketing aspect of things uh, back in college. I was leaning a little bit more toward marketing. I really liked like consumer behaviors and things of that nature. Um, but then I got into my first sales role right out of school and, you know, never looked back. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is that I find that marketing and sales are, are very, they work best when they're very tightly aligned. Uh, and in fact, Absolutely. You know, the, the quote that I get from my CEO, he says, sales is not just, or marketing isn't just sales without a quota. It's, there's a different thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you've got to understand how that machine works, but ultimately you've got to think ahead of and then be on the backside of it to nurture people right. through this sort of the customer experience and the, you know, and I, I tell you, I, I still cringe because I used to be sold a lot of things. I worked as a customer, <laughs> you know, for many, many years in different companies. And whenever I hear the word prospect, it makes me cringe a little inside. I'm like, you mean, let's call I them know. potential customers or prospective <laughs> customers. Prospect just sounds like a 
it just sounds like a, a like a thing like i'm a red mark on a tr on a graph somewhere <laughs> yeah well I, I i have the same issue i it comes out of my mouth just because you know a lot of times it's internal speak but it always makes me feel like i've got a laser on you you know <laughs> yeah that's right i'm coming for you <laughs> there's something wrong with you you're a prospect we're gonna fix that yeah but I do think to comment on your um, sales and marketing being very aligned, I've, I've always felt like when I was in the sales role specifically, I always felt like marketing did such a great job of like looking up and seeing the big picture and having this 50,000 foot view and providing you this massive amount of air coverage, which was going to support you. And then you were a pair of feet on the street who were trying to go get it done. Yeah. You know? And the, the bi-directional feedback is, is so important, especially when companies are getting mm -hmm. started because, you know, they there really is no separation between the two, you know, it like, so maybe one doesn't, you know, carry a bag as they say, right. We don't care. You're not a quota carrying rep, but right. you ultimately are responsible for getting people's eyes onto the platform and the services and whatever, and then enabling you. And, and especially when you're using a, a consultative approach to selling, you know, that it's much more than just like, just, you know, go in, sign up today, like there's a lot of those straight up self-service SaaS things mm -hmm. where marketing is just purely SEO on the website. How do I get more people to get here and then keep the conversion rates high versus you have a very different, you know, continuing sales motion that's also in government much longer than a traditional, even like enterprise software sales. So, yep. And that, that plays into the marketing piece too, because their marketing has to be, you know, a little bit more sophisticated because not only is our sales cycle so long in government, it has a committee type of purchase. You could go into a commercial space and, you know, I could, you know, help influence you to, to make a purchase and you may be able to make that decision all on your own right here today, right now. And in government, that is never going to happen, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially in a product like ours. It's too complex. It touches too many places in the organization and it has risk associated to it for the organization. So it is always purchased by committee, which means there are multiple people who need to understand the value to them, right? Everyone has their own kind of goals and, and ambitions with what they're trying to accomplish. So marketing has, you know, not one customer target, but in most cases, probably six in every organization. And and it's it's I'm very happy that my government reps can't just go and write a check at a golf tournament and, <laughs> and buy something because I know how enterprise sales goes and a lot of people buy right. a lot of things they don't actually need and it costs them a lot of money that they can sort of sneak under the balance sheet somewhere versus, you know, who you're selling to, my people. <laughs> As my my money. Right. <laughs> Exactly. They take a very serious approach, a very conservative approach, and they want to make sure they've got the opinion of all that matter so that it is, a, they are taking a responsible action when they're spending public funds. So when you're talking to folks in the sort of the startup space and, and I mean, and like your technical teams too, when they work with other folks in the technical community, I'm always curious, do you find that you know, I'm always interested when I meet folks that are in a government sector uh, because I'm like, ooh, ooh, you know, I want to hear like how you do it and how you get through the challenges. And as a technology person as well, there's this really neat sort of dichotomy where you want to be like have leading edge engineers and doing amazing things, but sometimes you have to move at the speed of, I know, uh, 
uh, I, I, how to describe it, but it's like that they generally move at a slower pace. And you talked about it before, like the, at, in the past, adoptions have been slower. I don't even know that that's going to be true from now forward. I think we're going to see a big shift. Well, let me tell you about a couple of different trends we're seeing. So yes, normally government sales move a little bit slower. Um, just because there's a lot of people involved, a lot of moving parts, they do a lot of crossing T's and dotting I's to make sure they're doing everything, you know, completely above board and, and based on their regulations. And um, then when COVID hit, we, uh, you know, obviously everybody had kind of a slow hiccup there trying to figure out what the world was going to be. And one of the interesting things that we noticed was most of the time IT was not a part of our selling purchase or selling in, 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 in the purchase. It was more about um, the business unit getting what they needed to do their job. The trend we're starting to see is IT is now taking a, a bigger focus because they had so many things that maybe were not completely buttoned up or were very, you know, disparate systems or, you know, everything was just kind of not ready for this event, right? Right. So now they're taking a bigger approach because they're making sure that whatever is being used by a business unit is meeting the requirements they've defined from a cybersecurity perspective, from a technical perspective, and then making sure that it's going to actually work the way they want it to work from a remote perspective. So a lot of interesting changes. So we're seeing that before they were kind of hands off, go ahead, let the business unit use what they need, or you know, if it meets these five things, okay, good, go ahead. And now we're saying, wait a minute, let's take a bigger look at that. And oh, by the way, here's some documents we want you to fill out to say you you really meet these you know these needs. But I think that is a as that internal amplified feedback loop that'll be hugely positive because mm -hmm. that means that adoption should be faster, integrations should exactly. be thought of in advance, and and I think that and because you can use this consultative approach to go into the organization, the business unit, or whatever and say like, hey, these are the specific things we're solving. Because quite often there's other backend systems that ultimately are going to be interfaced yep. with or or there should be. You know, we should look for duplication as an agency. They should be looking for that. And so now mm -hmm. by making IT part of the, the decision process, at least or in the consultation process, you got a better shot at at being successful in in real true adoption. Absolutely. And, you know, we were seeing before COVID, we were seeing like about a 16% increase in the volume of requests year after year. Um, the first three months of COVID, we saw it spike by 57%. Wow. So the need for information and the need for information more rapidly and from a more national, uh, you know, uh, version is, is really kind of changing the landscape. So now not only are you seeing more integration needed because they need to be able to access things securely, safely, and, and quickly, um, but you're also seeing that IT is taking another look at things and saying, wait a minute, if this is working so well here, here's all these other processes that I have a problem with. Does it fit any of those? And so, you know, when we we're talking about public safety there for a brief moment, you know, the public records process is part of public safety, but then you have subpoenas and you have complaints and now you have, you know, unfortunately civil unrest, which is causing a whole nother level of types of information needed. So IT is going, well, okay, wait a minute, one big platform. This is making a lot more sense to me. So we're seeing that kind of evolution as well. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, you always hate to say it. I just, I didn't want us to go through what we just went through. And I don't want right. us to have to keep going through because we're far from done. 
But what I do want us to do is take lessons and apply them, uh, mm -hmm. not just, you know, in a way a prolonged, very impactful change in our lives forces mm -hmm. us to do that. It's very easy to like, oh, you get a, you get a bad, you know, your car crashes, something happens, you have a medical instant. You always say to yourself, well, this is it. I, I'm going to change my way. If God gets me out of this, uh, I'll change my ways. <laughs> and then 19 hours later, you're like, hey, I'm good now. I'm good. I don't need that. I don't, I don't need to change my ways anymore. But this has really fundamentally changed uh, so much of what we do. And I think Absolutely. That, especially, like you said, getting, getting people rapid access to information in a safe, secure way. Because good golly, like that's if you if this is where the importance is too from that outside in. If a government agency builds a system, they are wholly and totally responsible for the security of it. And the mm -hmm. reputation is very small. And and I said because they have a limited, you know, impact surface. Mm -hmm. uh, if something goes wrong, they have to go to a their citizens or their their region and say, hey, oopsie doodle, you know, that's a that's a very that's a technical term. Uh, but you know, they they want to say like something something's gone wrong, we've got a minor breach, fire off a letter, you know, get it out to folks. If that happens to you, you have a much more vested interest in never letting that happen. And so for that Absolutely. reason, I can trust, I want you to be responsible for that. Because then it's not on on me and my IT organization, and, and so that's why there's a huge advantage to having the to moving that some of that responsibility to you as a platform and as a as a vendor and a partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how how much does that come into play? Do you find when you're in those so, talks? Absolutely. So not to not to harp on public records too much, but interestingly, I would say probably five years ago maybe six, um, everyone thought public records were public. Like it didn't matter. Why do I, why am I talking about security? It's, but yeah. you just said it's public. So if it's public, it's public. Well, the truth of the matter is public records are not always public. You know, you could be the victim of a crime. The information that I'm going to provide you looks completely different than what I'm going to provide someone else. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was again, where we put ourselves in a very educational spot to make, our customers really understand what security meant to the public record space. And it's, you know, it's been a slow moving process because it, it's very hard to make that mental shift. Public records are public, you know, what, what, what's the difference? But now what we're seeing over the course of the last probably two years is that IT is like, no, 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 no. We're a public safety entity. We need to know about CGIS protection. You know, we're a health organization. We've got HIPAA issues. There's, you know, all of these things are now starting to kind of all come to light and become a very forward, you know, front facing requirement where before they were kind of like under the covers. <laughs> it's like, that would be nice to have. And now it's like, it's jacks are better to, to play. So we spend um, a significant amount of time, resources and funds yearly to make sure that we confidently can say, we checked the box, we checked the box, we checked the box. We are third party audited. We didn't just tell you that someone else told us. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> well, in the, again, the, in the same way that a shared services approach internally is so much better by leveraging a partner who is, mm -hmm. like I said, vested in the same as like AWS as an example, right? I, it's really important that they never have a breach. 
And so <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to trust that they've, they got some stuff, some meat on that stick that they're not going to let that happen. Yep. Uh, and in the same way with you. So, and also if potential things are occurring, they're catching them, learning from them, and then I win. So I, as a customer of GovQA, have the advantage that every other agency that you work with or every other organization you sell to, their edge case is now my safety net, which is pretty fantastic. Absolutely. So we partner with um, Microsoft for their Azure government cloud. We do a lot of uh, events with them to educate the public on the importance of that. But even, even though they are as top-notch as can be when it comes to trusting that our data is safe and our application is safe there, that's where we go above and beyond that with all of our own third-party audits, et cetera. You know, all the folks in our organization now get trained and tested every year to make sure they're certified. Just certified. I mean, we've literally gone. It, these words would have never even come out of my mouth five years ago. So <laughs> it's it's just quite interesting how fast it's it's evolving, and I I see that there'll be another jump just based on what has happened this year. Yeah, well, that, and and it's amazing too that we look at how much has been done. And, and on the Azure side, yeah, it's fantastic. I look, I've worked with a few folks on looking at like what they put behind the technology. But like you said, you have to, you want to go that extra layer because we're not just certifying that you're using their technology. It's the way in which you're using it so that you can certify and you want to use those third parties and you need to get those, those check Absolutely. boxes checked. Now, here's the fun part. You, you've got a few <laughs> years in. Someone comes to you and they say, Jen, I'm thinking about building a startup or getting into sales you know, in the government sector. Tell me why I shouldn't do it <laughs> or tell me why I should. What's your, <laughs> what's your advice to folks that are thinking about, I'll say sure, dabbling, well, right? Do you, you, it's very hard to just dabble with public sector uh, and, and government sector sales. <laughs> well, the, the two things are, do you have patience? Um, because you know, you're, you're not going to get in and sell something in two months. Um, that's not how that world works. So, you know, are, are you financially stable? Do you have patience? What is the actual product? What are you trying to, have you found that there is a pain that you're trying to solve for? Um, because a lot of people come up with really great ideas that nobody needs. So you have to make sure <laughs> those things are in place first. So that's the first three things. And then from there, I mean, you have to, you have to be really agile, right? You have to be able to pivot. I mean, I remember back in the early days, I used to laugh that sometimes I felt like I was pivoting so much. I was doing a pirouette. Um, so, you know, you have, but you have to, because you have to listen and you have to learn from it and you have to adapt. Right. So um, th those are things I think you can't come to the table with. I've made it, it's here. It, it can't change. And I'm going to go find a customer for it. You have to know that there's customers looking for it. And, and or be really good at educational sales because educational sales and government can be great because they don't know what the enterprise space is using. Right. They just know what they're troubled with today. So if you've got that great listener ability and can pivot and all those other things are in place, you, you're, you're a rock star. But know that as a startup, you're going to be talking to, you know, some someone very high up in the organization and then later you're going to be trying to figure out why the internet cord won't plug in so <laughs> <laughs> you wear many a hat <laughs> now was there anything in your own education through you know getting into marketing and such mm -hmm. that prepared you for 
this type of, of sales and, and, and marketing motion? Um, I'm not sure that it came out of my education as much as it did my experience. Um, I took a, uh, about, Ooh, I don't know, 50, almost 15 years where I was a realtor. So I basically ran my own business. Um, in doing so, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times, but if you don't hunt and kill, you don't eat. So <laughs> yeah. I learned to, I think that's where I learned a lot of my listening skills <laughs> because in the beginning you just think, Oh, I'm going to show you all of the biggest and best houses and I'm going to make a million dollars. And then you realize these people did not say anything about that. <laughs> and so you have to, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, hone your skills from there. So I learned quite a bit about, uh, you know, about how I wanted to be and how I wanted to leverage my skills from that time period. Um, and then I just, I've been in sales for so long that I just, I always kept learning. I didn't want to say, I know everything and I'm the, I'm a great salesperson, you know, um, all the way down to watching a webinar you've seen three times, watch it again. You're going to hear something new. It's, it's those kind of things. Cause I, I'm curious when, if you look at, are we preparing people well, or do we need to for this type of, of a business, right? Because I, I, I wonder if there's anything, you know, or is it, it seems to me, this is a huge opportunity, but like you said, probably not for the fresh out of school kid, uh, who's like all full, uh, all full of vinegar and ready to, to go and sell <laughs> some craziness. Like they, they probably aren't the good, you know, like you said, you have to be patient, probably financially stable because you're in for a bit of a long haul. Well, being with the organization from the time it was in startup mode, um, I can say that we, you know, we did a lot of those things. We hired a lot of kids out of school. Um, you know, they take a lot of education and a lot of coaching and a lot of things that make sense to you when you're in startup mode because they're younger, they're less expensive, they're moldable. But when you're in startup mode, you're doing so much and you're running so fast. Um, you don't have the time to grow people like that. So that's kind of, you know, one of the lessons learned, I would say, um, and then, you know, un understanding that you can't have the hotshot salesperson who thinks they can, you know, turn three deals in a week, it's not going to happen. So building them and building their, um, their experience and coaching them into what government looks like, but not allowing them to say, well, I don't really have to do much with this uh, potential customer because it's going to take them two years to buy it. It's your job to help them understand why it's important now why it's something that should be acted upon now. And, and a lot of times it's, it's helping them learn how they can purchase things. A lot of the times the client you're talking to doesn't really ever purchase anything right. or hasn't purchased anything of this magnitude and doesn't know the rules, doesn't know how to get it done. So you being an expert and, and kind of continuing to fly the plane with them makes them not only trustworthy you know, of you, but um, confident that they can get something done without a whole lot of, you know, back and forth. Like we come very educated when it comes to things like procurement. And that is a, a battle unto itself, even in a, an enterprise organization, let <laughs> alone when you get into government, which has the, like, uh, the, the appropriate level of rigor that they have to have in that process. So that stuff doesn't Absolutely. just sort of willy nilly show up. I worked in a financial organization and I'd, you'd, you'd get a knock on the IT department's door and it'd be the head trader saying, hey, I got a guy from, you know, server, or, you know, you know, Trader X, some new company. And they're like, they're here to put in a circuit. And he'd be like, <laughs> 
sorry, what? I've, what do you mean they're here to put in a circuit? They're like, yeah, we just signed up for the service. So the guy, and some network guy is here. He says he needs something about a firewall. And he'd be like, no, 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 this is not, this is not how it works. But then <laughs> it was different in that environment because even if it was a cost issue, you can't even use like, look, we got to put this through and vet it out and talk about the money, whatever. Because like, look at this costs us, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. I'm going to make that this morning. So just get it done. Like right. the government doesn't have that advantage, although there is a lot of money that's in procurement for the right reasons, because we need to build services and, and, and acquire software and such. It doesn't just get, you know, the head of trading isn't there on, on the government side to just kind of shove it through and, and good right. thing, good thing. Right. <laughs> Cause I've seen a lot of those services that end up getting stood up. And then four months later, they're like, yeah, kill that one. <laughs> exactly. No, it is a very, you know, it, we always laugh that you have one evaluation process with the people who want to use your product. And then you have a whole nother evaluation pr process with the people who want to give you a PO. <laughs> or, or write you a check, you know, so it's, it, it's a two-step process. And a lot of times, um, because we come to the table with so much knowledge, uh, and experience, we're able to say, Hey, I understand that in your state, these are the way people can purchase things. These are some of the guidelines. So we basically come to them and give them the options in which they can purchase, which a lot of times makes, you know, not only the procurement folks, but, but our potential, you know, evaluate, evaluating group, um, very, very comfortable that we know what we're doing. Yeah. The, the fact that you've already walked the road for right. them and you can help them through that because that's uh, like I said, that's a, it's an, a really interesting challenge. Now the, the duration of that early phase, I'm curious in the startup phase of, of the company, mm -hmm. you know, now you've been around for your, your team's been around for a little while. How long do you have to kind of say, this is a faith exercise, like, cause it's one thing to come up with a, an MVP and, and, and find your first customer and get someone dabbling with it. Mm -hmm. But you're, you face now the same rigor that you would. And so you've, it's an extra bit of a faith exercise because you're selling into a company that has different regulatory requirements, different views on a hot new startup, so to speak. Right. Right. Well, I think from a startup perspective, you, you probably put enough well, I hope you've put enough research and, and uh, investment into what you think the space looks like and what your expectation is and how far down the rabbit hole you'll go before you decide, you know, you've got to raise the white flag. But um, one of the things I would say is government themselves, it's a wonderful space to sell into because government folks care what other governments are doing where when you get into the enterprise space, nobody cares what the other competitor is doing. They want something better. <laughs> in government, it's like, wait, you did you did the research, you did your due diligence, tell me about that. How is it working for you? Show me how it's working. And they wanna use what other people already find successful, right? Which I think is another uh, responsible move for government because they don't need to go be a show off and do something else or do the same, rigorous due diligence that someone else has already done very, very successfully and has proven out. It's a responsibility as far as spending funds, right? So I, I think that's a great way to leverage things when you're in startup mode is to use that customer peer-to-peer um, -peer sharing, right? Get the customer who likes you and loves you and is using your MVP to talk to other customers. Have them help a little bit, and they will because if they're successfully using something, they want their you know they want their peers to know. 
Now, looking at the, I'll, I'll say this, and obviously don't we don't call it specifics, but like the organizational map inside a, a government agency or organization, whatever we want to call it, how does that look relative to a tradition to it? Say an enterprise type of organization, because I'm always curious in how have you you if you were to compare both sides. Or do you see a lot of the similarities and, and maybe especially in the last couple of years, have you seen a shift to uh, an enterprise IT style of IT org showing up uh, in, in the government yeah. agencies? It really depends on the size of the organization. You know, so, you know, cities and smaller counties are going to have a, a, a smaller footprint from an organizational perspective. They're going to have a lot of single point folks who do you know, these are my role. This is my role. This is what I do where the larger you go up, it's going to be more teams and more departments and, you know, functional units in the organization. Um, and then higher up when you get up to the state level, you know, there's a lot of things that happen and, and come out of the legal departments. So they look a lot different depending on the size of the organization. You do see a, a lot of the same responsibilities. You know, you're going to have a CFO, you're going to have a CIO, you're going to, all those people are going to exist. Um, the difference, I think, from a from an enterprise or a commercial space versus the government space is that in our government space, we're probably going to pull a lot of those people from all of those different departments or units into the process where in the enterprise or commercial space, it might just be that you have a financial product and you're selling it to finance or you yeah. have something for public safety and you're just going to public safety. That typically doesn't happen for us. Yeah, you you only care about the the EB as they say, your economic buyer. <laughs> you just go to the person that's got authority for budget, and then they, let them worry about getting people to use it, right? Which is uh, quite often how software gets sold, and thus unsold a year later at renewal time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point because that is the way it works in the enterprise and commercial space, but in in our space because we have that you know that buying group or that committee. The economic buyer is still a very important piece of that. They're in there, but they very much care that the people who have to use it have all that buy-in, which is why that committee exists to begin with. Yeah. So clearly you need your economic buyer, but they're going to want to make sure their team has buy-in. I only wish we could take some of that and put it into a lot, because I've seen a lot of enterprises, <laughs> unfortunately, trip over just the, you know, the latest the latest hot thing and and then we kick the tires on it and and i even worked in one organization they said you know they were happy to they had like a two hundred thousand dollar cap if it was over two hundred thousand you got to think about it if it's under 200k they're like they would treat yep. it like gambling money uh in a sense and it was funny because i thought like shouldn't we treat this like it's our money you know and, <laughs> but you know when you've got that much revenue top line bottom line you could work it out yeah um, you can do some things <laughs> yeah i guess you can yep. make some some magic happen behind the scenes so if you had advice to somebody who's you know been in sales for a while and they're thinking you know how do i prepare myself to move into the government sector because they've liked the idea what What's, are there good, kind of good reading resources? Are there good courses you've learned or peers, uh, you know, community groups you've found that could be good at sharing some uh, of the stories and lessons? There are a few, like if you go to LinkedIn, you can find some, some specific information, you know, government groups and, and, and you know, um, uh, organizations that you can belong to. There's not a ton of um, resources very specific to government sales. 
Uh, I would tell you if you were making a consideration into going into government sales, I would ask some really hard questions when you're evaluating an organization because everyone wants to tell you that you're going to come in and make $2 million tomorrow. And, you know, you want to understand what's the runway, what's, you know, how are you going to help me with that first runway piece? And, and because it is a transition, you, you're not going to sell something in 30 days. So, um, it, it's really understanding that I've seen a lot of salespeople, um, successful ones and, 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 or maybe a little less mature, um, you know, uh, or unseasoned, I guess I would say they, they come into it just thinking they are going to be gangbusters and, you know, four months goes by and they don't, they don't think they're going to sell anything for another two or three months and they burn out. Yeah. So having that really realistic approach and building a plan backwards to say, okay, if I don't sell anything for the first, let's just exaggerate a little bit, 12 months, um, what does that look like for me? And how am I going to make sure I'm stacked up? So after that po- point, you know, the rocks start rolling. <laughs> And that would be that would be the concern of mine is is making sure that an organization has that plan and is is really upfront and honest about the work that's going to need to go into it. Having fifteen years of real estate prepared you a lot for that because you are you probably you walked a lot of people through places and you know you have to, but you also know fairly early on in the process that. This is just me getting a few steps in today. I that <laughs> I'm not actually gonna you you especially when you get into, you know, larger homes, uh, it mm-hmm. narrows the buyer market. But you can't treat it like I'm just gonna wait for the the right customer to come along and and they're right. gonna have money and then I'll sell them. You're like, no, no, you have to sell every day, right? To everybody. I think you know, as, and as a salesperson, especially, and especially in government, because you have to build a lot of relationships. I know everyone says that in sales and it sounds like it's just become a cliche, but because that process is so long, you do have to build that trust and that, you know, so you want to show your thought leadership in the space and, and that you're paying attention to things that are going on. Maybe something happens in their community and you reach out and now you've got a purpose to have a call. You know, those are all things that have to take place and, and um, prospecting, using the word, <laughs> searching for potential customers um, is, is, is a lot of work. Um, it, it, it's something that you can't stop doing. And I think what happens in, in uh, the government space is you're prospecting for so long that you're starting to burn out because sales aren't actually coming yet. And then the second they start coming, you stop prospecting because now you have work to do, right? Yeah. You, have th- <laughs> you have things that need to get done. And it's the thing I learned in real estate uh, early on was I don't care what your day looks like. These two and a half hours are not going away. You know, you, you, you can't start your day until this takes place. And that was a a rigor that I learned from a mentor and I took it all the way through my, you know, my sales time. I always, uh, I point people at it's a Jeb Blunt, uh, B-L-L-U-N-T. He has a great book Mm -hmm. called Fanatical Prospecting. And I, I give it to marketing teams. I give it to sales teams. I give it to techies who are getting into the vendor space or like getting into a startup space. I'm like, this is how, these are the words you're going to have to learn. And this is the way that like everybody thinks, and I get this all the time. I see like, I help a deal go through and I, I touch a part of the process and it feels like. (laughs) I, I was there when I introduced this company to our product. And then next thing you know, four months later, they sign a, you know, a, a big, huge you know, seven figure deal. And I think to myself, my paycheck's exactly the same as it was last week. And that person just <laughs> bought a house. Oh boy. <laughs> but I don't want the responsibility 
of the stuff that's not seen, which mm -hmm. when you go through a little bit of Jeb Blunt reading, and that's a man who's excited about the prospecting experience, but he's also brutally honest about how much it sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, but it is necessary. And he says, like, that's what it is. Is you know, we you don't see it right away either, which is even scarier because yep. the you know, the pipeline is like a like a big wave. It goes and then it slowly comes in. And by the time it arrives, you actually see the crest of the wave. Right. But like you I, said, you can't just stop because the next wave won't come without you doing the next thing. Well, I think one of the interesting things about prospecting, like when I was, you know, training salespeople early on, it was like, shut your email off, just shut it off, shut the notifications off. And they'd go, what do you mean? I go, it is the easiest place to play squirrel yeah. <laughs> and stop prospecting because it's that distraction that you just need, you know, anything that's going to distract you and you're like, okay, I got I got to focus on this now. And then the prospecting before you know it, your two and a half hours are gone. Right. Um, I think that's an interesting piece. And I think another thing that, um, you know, salespeople, especially if you're trying, you're in a startup and you're trying to train new salespeople to, to do what they need to do to get your product out there. It's every day at the end of the day, look up from your business and say, what worked well today? What didn't work well today? I've seen so many salespeople over the course of my career come into work every day and they're like a mouse on a wheel. They just jump on the wheel and they're just running all day and they're going through activities and there's like no thought process behind it. There's no, and the, the next day they come in and they do the same thing. And three days later, they're like, I haven't done anything successful. It's like, well, what have you noticed? And they're like, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it is tough you know, because you don't, when they don't have that introspective view, and I've seen a lot of people that, and that's why I've got a massive respect for people in any form of sales, because mm -hmm. I know what goes in behind it. I remember watching, I worked in technology through the nineties and I, I watched as the big housing boom came along and, and, and it, everybody went crazy. They're like in 98, 99, people are like, I'm going to buy, a, I'm going to get into real estate. You go get your, take a three-week course, you get your license. Mm -hmm. All you had to do was get the contract signed. And by the time yep. the ink was drying from your signature, it was already in MLS is the, the Canadian version of the, the real estate system. Too. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so it, would, it would be, it would show up in MLS. You'd have 10, you know, people that are prospective buyers and then you book one mm -hmm. showing and it goes because it was a crazy busy market and so that was so I, I saw people that were like help desk reps and like project managers and they left their perfectly good job like i'm gonna make a million dollars in real estate well that was in 99 well guess what happened in 2000 and 2001 the market goes and it becomes yep. difficult and all of a sudden You'd be hanging your your shingle on on a on a house, and it, there there that shingle would live and and close its night out every night, just collecting dust and rain. And because they weren't yep. salespeople, they were just there while the sale was happening, but they weren't actually responsible right. for it. They were just along for the ride. Right. We you know we used to refer to them as uh, order takers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you were, you were essentially a tour guide and an order taker. You didn't yeah. really, you know, you didn't learn any good skills. You didn't learn any negotiating skill. You didn't have to, um, everything just kind of fell in your lap. So, um, it was interesting to watch people fall out of the market then. And then when the boom started happening again, 2005, 2006, things are getting really hot in 2007. And then the crash comes and, you know, it was like, that's actually when I stopped real estate full-time. 
was 2008 or 2007 because it was such a miserable time. And I'm like, this is so sick. It's like so cyclical. It just goes up and down. And I'm like, I don't want to ride this wave again. It's not, it's miserable. You're messing with people's lives. Like this isn't company to company. This is, you know, Sally and Joe and their two little kids. (laughs) Now they can't get, they can't get a house. It's like, it's just not a nice place when that happens. So the people who, uh, who lived through it, I, I, I give them a lot of, uh, a lot of kudos because it after the second round it was miserable. I'm like done. <laughs> when you when you bring that forward, and I think that's a testament to the way that you approach and why you're successful with you know GovQA and and the clients that you have because you had that empathy for the understand it for the end consumer. Mm-hmm. And you're not just this like lightning hotshot salesman with a vanity plate and a nice shiny <laughs> Panamera in the driveway. Like that's great. And there maybe there are government sellers that are out there, but you know, it's a rarity. And but what's even more of a rarity is somebody who has the understanding, the empathy, and the caring enough like you have to take your skill, find a product market fit, and now go in and treat those customers like Jenny and, and her family who you right. wouldn't have sold a house to that they, they couldn't have survived it. It's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, from time to time, it's, it's, it's interesting when you have to teach this to a salesperson, but there's some times where people want to spend more money with you than they need to spend. And the best way for you to get that customer to buy anything from you again is to tell them no. You know, if you wanted to buy a hundred of something with me. And I really didn't think you needed more than 50. I could sell you a hundred cause it's going to look great in my bank account. But <laughs> when you come back next year and tell me, why do I have a hundred now? I, now I have a customer that's not trusting me. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good relationship. And I'm going to have a hard time selling you something else. You know, I have a um, quick example from real estate. I was selling a customer. They were buying a million dollar house. It was beautiful. Um, but the one that they really had their heart set on, I didn't want to sell them. And, uh, I said, I finally came out and I said, I I can't sell you this house. And they said, well, why not? I said, you, you told me that your business is going to transfer in three years. And in three years, this market is still going to be too saturated and I won't be able to sell that house. And you're going to hate me for it. We can't buy this house. And I remember getting in the car and sitting, (laughs) sitting there saying to myself, I just walked away from a hundred hundred million dollar sale, or I mean a million dollar sale. And I'm like, "Uh, but it brought me the best experience of my life because they were constant referrals to me because they trusted me, you know? Um, so teaching salespeople that it's not always about the bigger dollar in the sale, but it's the long game. Yeah. I had a, a, my first experience where I specifically chose a realtor. He was, he did the same thing. And he's like, I, I don't know that this is the right thing. And then he had a house that was one of his listings that came up. And it showed up on, I was like, hey, I just got an email. It's on MLS and you're the agent. He goes, oh, well, that's going to be a problem. He says, because I can't represent like it's dual agencies. Like it's kind of weird. I was like, I don't care. I'm (laughs) like, I know you've got my best interest in mind. And as long as you're okay with it and we're legally clear, I trust you. And, and it was just that. And, and then when it came time a couple of years later and I sold that home, I, I dug through my, my email, found his phone number and said, Hey, and he's like, 
I don't even, I was thinking about getting out of the business. I haven't actually done any listings in a while. He's like, but sure, you know, happy to do it. And he took it on and the house moved well, luckily. And, yep. and but it was, it was just that, right. As you build that trust with somebody and yep. it's, it's far better than, you know, putting the, 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 the Panamera in the driveway once. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I think it's a good correlation. You know, if you look at real estate, right, you want to build a long-term relationship because there's going to be repeat business there. Right. You're going to move again. You're going to have children who want to move and buy and you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you need to make sure that you are you are putting yourself in the right position there. And it's the same in government. It's a long game. You're going to be able to use them to assist you in, you know, maybe moving through the organization to talk to other folks or talk with neighboring communities. And if you don't build that right level of trust, you're not going to get it. It's funny that one of the a really great, uh, he's a, a technical seller uh, who is in, in my team for a while. He's, he's moved on to a different organization and he's, he said he, he worked for this massive company, goes into a big university and sells this platform big money. He's, he's done very commercially well and well-deserved. Mm -hmm. And then he says he changes company. And then of course, the first thing does like, Hey, just, just so you know, I'm over here now. And, and he's saying, and he says this particular uh, customer of his says, Hey, I know what you guys do, but sell it to me. <laughs> because he knew if you're there, I yeah. believe in you. Yep. And that's the important of the true relationship sale. Like you said, we throw the word around, you know, the trusted advisor, whatever right. we're going to call it. <laughs> like, it's not a, it's not a font. It's not a, it's <laughs> a, great. it is really and truly a behavior pattern mm -hmm. and it's detectable. Nope. And, I agree. And I think it's, but I also think you have to be careful be between building a relationship and thinking that that relationship is going to just drop things in your lap versus being right. able to have a good relationship where people want to believe in the value that you're showing. You, you still got to use those golden hours just like you did when you didn't have the relationship. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're just, you know, if you've built the right relationship, the person on the other end, if you have the rest of that skill set, is going to be listening. Yeah. People say, what's the formula for perfect sales? So there isn't one, but there's 19 <laughs> formulas. If you use them all in the right way, it works out to a really good result. Absolutely. But I say the, you've, you've got the formula, Jen, and, and, you know, I congratulate you on the way you approach things. Oh, thank you. Uh, and, you know, I said, I look at what you and the team are doing at GovQA. It's, it's fantastic stuff because it's, it's the future of, of what we're going to do, you know, and I think as I remember it also not many years ago, just even working in finance, the whole thing, they're like SAS, like people are like, <laughs> no, no way. It's like, I can't put my data in the cloud. And you want to like, yep. I got bad news. Do you know where the rest of your data already is? Like your other, the other thing that you use, where do you think their data protection vault is? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, like I even had the Canadian one, which is funny. This is sort of like, uh, the we were financial services so we were required you can't like leave the province let alone the country right with your data right it's there's different stuff and sure enough we like go through this whole thing it can't go to the cloud can't do this can't do that but they're very sort of fuzzy regulations which is why it was important to find a, a partner who under really understood and could say hey look we're already selling to you to your competitors like we're there for we've already done it we know what, what you really need around regulatory boundaries and stuff like that. 
because then ultimately they said, you know, I was trying to pitch to my CEO. I said, we should use this platform. He says, we can't because it's going to be in the US and it was Patriot Act. And it was a whole big scene. They always use that Patriot Act like it was a cudgel against me. <laughs> and I'd say, you know where our like our book of record for all of our customer data, you know where their recovery center is that we use for disaster recovery every three months? It's in New Jersey. <laughs> like, so we have live data sitting just tucked right over the border there. And, and we're like, oh. And as soon as we accepted that and then found partner vendors who could understand the regulatory sort of, not restrictions, but the challenges and sort of like the questions that needed to get asked. Mm -hmm. so we we've, had, uh, we've had Canadian customers for um, many years. And so we always had a, a private data center and we just recently moved to the Azure uh, Canadian government cloud. Oh, nice. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think this is the, the beginning of a beautiful time where we can truly, you know, let innovation drive the power yeah. of, of government as a, as a true citizen agency, you know, it's, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited by the future. So, uh, and yeah, thank you very much for sharing some really fantastic lessons with, uh, with us today, Jen. This is really cool. If folks wanted to connect with you, find out more, I'll have links, of course, to GovQA. Uh, and uh, you know, the, it's funny, I doubt you'll be getting people ringing off the hook. Hey, heard the podcast, <laughs> want to buy the product, obviously, different, uh, different selling motion. But, you right. know, it, it was really helpful to kind of share those, some of the lessons around the motion and, you know, but if, if people want to connect, what's the best way they can reach you? Absolutely. So the, there is a, an easy way to get to me from our website, which is govqa.com. Uh, there's a whole section where there's multiple ways where you can contact me. Hashtag join Jen. You can follow me on LinkedIn. I'll let you know all the other places I'm going to be throughout the year. Yes. Um, and, uh, um, you know, obviously maybe we could throw out my uh, email address as well, which is jsnyder at govqa.com. But all of that is available on our website. It's uh, the magic of being in the public eye. <laughs> like talk about public, we you know we I, I learned that too at one point is the once you don the evangelist title, you you have a very public face, uh, which is which is it's fun, you know. It is very fun. It's nice because people always say, you know, what's the advantage of going out and doing like a lot of public speaking? I said, I speaking is just what you see what you don't see is me listening to 500 people at a time and being able to get amongst those people and really mm -hmm. learn lessons and, and hear stories. Heck, I started a podcast just so that I'm, I'm the most selfish person in the world. I just, <laughs> I get an hourly lesson every week. This is fantastic. <laughs> That's Excellent. great. Well, thank you very much for sharing the time today. Absolutely. Thank you. You have a great afternoon.